Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. This is the prophetic word. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from of old from everlasting. Now I'm going to speak here probably in presentation form because we all know what's coming. Normal sermons at least have some anticipation but since there's so much red and Christmas ties some of which should never be worn except on this day they spell out things someone gave me a Christmas tie and it, and it says Godfather at the end of it I'm, I'm thinking it means God the Father but it doesn't say that it just says Godfather so praise the Lord for that I'm going to give it to my father. You'll see it. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what I was going to give him for Christmas, but it arrived on my desk today. Praise the Lord. I want to speak to you today about the king and the conqueror. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Now turn to your neighbor and say, you're the best looking person I've seen all day. The day is not over, but so far, nobody tops you. Okay, I don't have any monitor, though. I don't have any monitor. I don't have any monitor, though. I got a lot of house, but no monitor. Okay. There, there are no... Thank you, Roman. That was very nice. Very proud of you. What a guy. There are no shortages of scholars on all sides making the case for and against Jesus. I won't have time today to divulge everything that I've read just to say that the subject of the person and the deity of Jesus Christ continues to be debated in forums and newspapers and magazines and throughout the whole world. And even as I make my case in support of him, I am admittedly biased in my approach. You see, there are tangibles and intangibles. And the intangibles can neither be proven or disproven. They're based on faith and feelings and an emotional realm, which I would consider a spiritual realm, that fills my life. Real believers, like me, are not dissuaded by the disenfranchised people of the world. We don't rise and fall with every new article or new thing or new discovery to us 
The relevancy of Jesus Christ is in our daily walk. He's more than a seasonal character, gracing the stage in swaddling clothes. His birth was only the commencement of what would end up to be a very short-lived life that culminated on a cross, a death, and an empty tomb. Christmas, the remembrance of his birth for us, is only the beginning of the path that the Lamb of God took. And that his plan was put into play to pay a debt that we could not pay. So whether they find a shawl or some burial garment, as has been reported in the past, or if we stumble upon some new evidence to support his early life in Nazareth, the reality of Jesus is firmly sealed in the heart of every real believer. Real believers don't need any more evidence, pro or against. Credibly enough, he's not only seen by us, but by the entire world. The entire world sees him too. Think of it. Even at the time, the arrival of Joseph and Mary in Bethlehem is itself a fulfilled prophecy. A ruler for Israel is coming from that little house of bread. He's not a normal ruler. Micah said, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. He was from old, from everlasting. In a pragmatic sense, I have that side too. Bethlehem had a strategic significance in that it held pools of water. There was a reservoir reservoir of water there. So much of life depends on water. In fact, outside of a handful of desert plants and animals, most things simply just die in the barren lands, sand, and hot tundra. At the time of Jesus' birth, almost no one had heard of him. The people of Nazareth were not especially enamored with the Christ child as the origin of his conception was hidden from them. Some shepherds eventually arrived. Some magi from the east came, but it was a few years later. About two years after he was born, King Herod heard about Jesus, which ignited a historical slaughter of hundreds, perhaps thousands of young boys, children. Historians accurately conclude that Herod feared a coup and that other political pressures were weighing against him. He just could not sit idly by and allow a prophecy to come to pass. He believed the prophecy, or at least he couldn't take any chances that a king would rise up. In his time, Herod was very popular, but only in his small arena. The Caesars were much more popular. They were bunched together in greater form, but there were many other people that were powerful and popular throughout history, not just Jesus. Except today, that Jesus is the most popular person in all the world. Aristotle and Alexander the Great share a similar spotlight. Charlemagne the first Holy Roman Empire, considered the father of Europe, he had a good run, but some of you have never heard of him. I suppose some people have their own favorite person. We could talk about Plato or Da Vinci or Genghis Khan, the founder of the Mongol Empire, who died in 1227, but their names only invoke a minimal intrigue. Most history books of kings and conquerors are mentioned, mostly of them. The record books, however, limit popularity to regions of the world, countries, if you will, maybe nations. The Mongolian people had their own famed conquerors. The timeline of history itself showcases hundreds of kings and generational monarchs and men and a few women. 
who slaughtered people and conquered people. Popularity of several thousand years came in the form of wealth, land acquisition, conquered countries, or conquered people. Sometimes traders gained access to the list of world fame. The other strands of popularity came in the form of the arts, where paintings and carvings gave distinction to the artist. Of course, there were few inventors and philosophers in that mix. Not many. They were there, some. They were heralded unless they disagreed with the king, and then they were put to death. Then there were people remembered in infamy. But none of them garnished the wide geographical enduring popularity like Jesus of Nazareth for the last 2,000 years. He was known in the East. He became known in all parts of Asia Minor after his death. And while he was mostly cloaked during his young life, Rome took notice of him for the three and a half years that he taught and preached and led the people in a small area surrounding Nazareth, Galilee, and Jerusalem. During that time, no one was more well-known than this Jesus of Nazareth. His miracles and healings pushed him to the forefront of his own society. The Bible records him doing many things that garnished the favor of the people. Thousands of people. One time he fed 4,000 people. Another time 5,000. And this number only included men. The sick, many of them, were carried throughout Judea and Samaria to see him. Religious leaders felt threatened, which actually made him more visible among the elite of his time. The Romans, which were reigning, the Romans could ill afford an uprising, so they too had knowledge of him. Jesus, he exists today. He wasn't a military threat, but the Romans considered Jerusalem and Palestine a fragile place in the world where war could erupt at any moment. Jesus did not follow the Pharisees' prescribed path of religious behavior, and it angered them. He ate with publicans and sinners. They would never have done that. He talked with Samaritans. They were a taboo people. And conversed with women of ill repute. He touched the untouchable and repudiated the legalism of the Sanhedrin council and court. All the things you should not do if you want to blend in. Jesus never blended in. It was almost like he wanted to tear up their social structure by the root He dismissed what they considered to be sacred things and then he exposed their hypocrisy, Jesus. He did not simply live quietly to himself. He disrupted their temple practices by kicking over tables and beating the sellers with his own homemade whip. He spoke in parables, which made it difficult to understand him. You had actually had to pursue him and think about what he said. He challenged them with ideas far removed from their own leaders. He told them that he was before Abraham, as if he existed both in the past and in the present. Mm-hmm. When the high priest asked Jesus, point blank, and I quote from Matthew 26 and 63, Tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, yes, it's as you say. I'm a believer, I'm a confessed follower of someone I have never met. I'm a disciple of a king who owned no land, sat on no throne, occupied no castle. I'm following a king today. His crown was a plaited strand of thorns and his robe was a temporary garment used for mocking him. I'm a devotee to a conqueror who never held a sword and never led an army. 
He had no military background and gathered no weapons of war. I'm adherent to a Bible written in a language different than mine. However, according to Wycliffe Bible translators, it will be fully translated in whole or in part to every one of the world's 6,909 spoken languages. I live by the word as it is a lamp to my feet. It lights my path. I'm a follower of a king and a conqueror who is the king of all kings. He is the only leader in world history to be be declared as conquering the grave. And the word which I follow declares of him that when he returns, the heavens will open and he will be riding a white horse. John said he will be known as faithful and true. And he said, I saw him, his eyes as a flame of fire on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean and out of his mouth go the sharp two-edged sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with an iron rod he treads the winepress of fierceness and the wrath of almighty god and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written king of kings and lord of lords he is the king and he is the conqueror if jesus christ is not the messiah the son of god the incarnate god that perhaps there are only a few reasons why he should be known today. I don't know all the writers that I read. I don't know them personally, but I stumble upon some of them and follow them. Some of them are not people that I really embrace. But I remember one man, and I looked him up again. His name was James Wall. He's a writer. I've, I've read a few things by him. I really just remember his name because of his middle name. I would never remember James Wall, but he always includes his middle name. It's James Kirk. (laughs) I can always remember James Kirk. In fact, when I stumble upon something and read it, oh, this is James Kirk. Beam me up, Scotty. I'm just like, right, okay, here we are. Here we go. James Wall is a die-in-the-wool atheist. He gives a few reasons for the continued popularity of Jesus Christ. He's trying to compute it, figure it out. One of his greatest reasons for the endurance of Jesus comes from what he says Jesus taught. And I quote from James Wall. He writes, the words, as selective as they may be in the scope of the Bible, of love and tolerance attributed to Jesus attracted many followers. No kidding. In other words, there are no words like the words of Jesus. His all-encompassing compassion transcends the centuries of time and people are drawn to it. Here's what John wrote. He that loveth not, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifest the love of God, manifested. God is the spirit, but Jesus is the manifestation toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that he might live through him. Hearing his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Love, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I tell you that nothing is greater than love. No wonder why the world is attracted to Him in every culture, creed, society, and language because there's nothing like love.
and the words of Jesus Christ, his life and his lineage are wrapped up in the image of love. And Wall goes on, but I got to pause and just say, there's a reason why all the other leaders cannot be remembered. Jesus is love. People are attracted to something that they cannot buy and they cannot lose. Mm -hmm. And of course, Wall says other things because he's logical. And he wants to explain away why Jesus is still so popular and that everyone knows him. Why even other nations are getting to know him. Why his knowledge and image and his story is being told now in China. In ways that even the Chinese government cannot control. He writes, the church, this is James Kirk. The, je- the church, when under good leadership, he writes, provides social support, traditions, customs, brotherhood and other commonalities that have served to strengthen communities the church i'm so glad that the atheist talked about the church because the atheist have to stop and give recognition to the church which we know as the body of jesus christ two thousand years could not erase the social support the customs the learning the protection and the help that the church has brought to all kinds of communities in every nation jesus said i've come to build my church and james kirk conceded that there's never been an entity that has ever measured up to the church throughout all of the centuries of time not governments not organizations not institutions not kingdoms not consortiums nothing is like the church i'll tell you where you're sitting you're sitting in the most attractive place in the whole world everybody wants the church even the atheists know that there's no place like the church where all of us can get together and have love and forgiveness and help and hope like the church I don't know what people do without the church. I don't know how people live without the church. But I'm thankful I don't have to find out. Because I've got a big family in the house. It's the church of the almighty God. The body of Jesus Christ. Many people in this house have gotten sick in this year. And you know that your body is not well. But what did you do when you found out that you were in trouble? You called the church. And the church started praying for you. You called the church. And the church started getting together and fasting for you. Mm-hmm. I'll move through the reasons. James Kirk Walls calls out large families as a reason, but it's a flimsy argument. He writes, any religion that promotes large families has evolutionary advantages in survival. Wall might even note that this point is a weak argument, seeing that other schools of thought, religious bodies, other people have supported large families. But next comes his fourth reason for the popularity of Jesus Christ. He says, nomadic religions have evolutionary advantages over local gods that are immobile. It means that religions with gods of stone and wood are difficult to transport. What he doesn't say is that our God is a spirit. And when we're baptized in his spirit, we have him living inside of us. It means that he's with you in your car, in your house, in your peril, in your pain, at your job, in your day, in your night. You can't destroy this king, invisible, immortal, the only wise God, the Almighty. He said, I don't dwell in temples made with hands. This is Colossians. Paul wrote, even the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can burn a wooden God. You can break a god of glass or stone but this jesus endures beyond the walls of every building and the material artifacts in this house 
I hope you can hear me today. There's a reason why Jesus is popular. Because the fades of this world and the trajectory of a, of a moral bankrupt society is not proof of Jesus. I know that. I can see that an unsettled and aimless culture does not in itself give evidence of Jesus. But if the gods of this world, which there are many, have led them to this, I will take Jesus every day of the week. He goes with me everywhere I go. When I get up in the morning, he's there. If I find myself in a barren land, he's there. I don't have to care him around in a sack or a box he's a mobile savior he's a mobile god you can call us nomadic if you like but i like a god who's not confined to one place at one time he can be with me and with you at the same time he's omnipresent no wonder why jesus is popular everybody can have jesus all right mm-hmm Come on, you all to say, praise God, I got him, I want him, I need him. Mm -hmm. I don't know, sometimes I just argue with these writers, they don't even know who I am. I just sit at my desk and read their material, I'm thinking, I got to call you up, where's your phone number? James Kirk seems to struggle, and in his next point... Because he writes a much longer essay trying to rationalize how this Jesus religion promotes suffering with joy. The atheist is trying to, he's scratching his head. It looks like he's trying to wrap his mind around the idea of embracing what Christians call tribulations. So Wall says that the ruling class uses Jesus to subjugate peasants and promote the turn the other cheek doctrine. As a way to deal with those who are against him, he, he can't figure it out. That the followers of Jesus Christ were indoctrinated or conditioned to think that they would probably and most likely suffer. He's really not even far off. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 10, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. So while the world struggles with their suffering and their tribulation, their pain, Jesus conditioned us. Here's Peter. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready to give, always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, that's just what they do, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. This is what they're struggling with. How could people still serve a God who promotes tribulation and suffering and loss and pain? I'll tell you how. Because this is not where we're going to be forever. Yes. And finally, it leads me to the last of our atheist friend, his conclusion as to why Jesus still endures today. It's the teaching of the Lord himself, and specifically the teaching about the ultimate end of life, heaven and hell. Heaven and hell. I've heard a lot of things in the last three years about everyone who's going to heaven. I hear people talk about how people are now dancing in heaven. And how they're rejoicing in heaven. In fact, coming out of the same mouths of people who say that there is no God. It flips, you know, when people die. 
Walls calls it, and I quote, the great promise and the great threat. The atheist says, heaven and hell is the greatest marketing campaign of all time. He's not alone. Many other writers with many other names, I don't have to mention all of them, have said the same thing. You see, the subject of eternity, the final moment of time, and to top it all off, they're talking about this. They point back to the day that we are now about to approach as being the pivotal moment in the subject of heaven and hell, eternity. They all go back to Christmas. You see, Christmas, especially in these modern times, this modern age, perpetrates Jesus Christ. And Christmas joins together ideas. It blends them. It speaks of a movement where the purpose of his coming is eventually explored. The secularist even muse how it seems to be impossible to separate the birth of Jesus from the season of Christmas, which many consider as a global holiday. Christmas affects countries that do not even consider themselves to be Christians because the stock market closes. Trading stalls and trails off and traders go home for Christmas. Banks all over the world adjust for the day of Christmas. Businesses, secular businesses, atheistic people, evolutionists who who don't believe anything about God, all adjust their schedules for Christmas. It's Christmas. And then comes the commerce of the day. A billion packages delivered. Some packages delivered to houses that are then routinely taken from thieves, by thieves. Everyone gets a share. The image of old Saint Nick where red suits and goodwill toward men and presence become the center stage and yet Christ is so blatantly spelled out over and over and over and over again. Christ is in Christmas and you just can't spell it any other way. It's almost as if this entire season is being held by a pupper master whose hand is low enough so everyone can see him behind the curtain. Jesus is born in Bethlehem His arrival is heralded by angels because God sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This season, this moment, this is the moment when all the world has to pay attention. Jesus is not only the most popular person still in the world today. No one can stamp him out or snuff him out. No one can remove him. He's just gaining footing. And every time that the church or people or believers are persecuted for his namesake, his popularity seems to grow over and over again. You see, there's something about this day. He was known. He was seen. Not just in his birth, but after his death. I read to you a little bit from Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. He was buried. He rose on the third day, according to Scripture. Verse 5, he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. And after that, 500 of his brethren at one time. Paul said most of them are still living. Some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. 
Think of that. Jesus was seen, the evidence of him. It is etched in the annals of time. And here we are today. We are still believing in a birth, a life, a death, and a resurrection. I cannot hardly get to Christmas without thinking of the reason why he came. He came as a lamb to die for our sins. No government can outlaw him. No one, no one can wipe him out. No one can remove him. And I know that I live by faith. I know that I haven't seen him, but I am a witness that I have felt him. Jesus, the Savior of the world. Jesus. And I say to James Wall and to all those who would write trying to explain away, there's something about Jesus and his name. I can't get it out of my mind. He made an imprint in my life. This is a Christmas season. It's much more than that. We don't know when Jesus was born. He was likely born in February. So sorry for all of my December people. We recognize this day, this coming day, as the, the beginning of the end. And John wrote it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That, that WRD actually means logos, the thought, in the beginning of time. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John start with the actual literal birth of Jesus Christ. But John writes in the beginning, at the, at the brink, right before time began, the logos was with God and the logos was God. The thought was God. And then he wrote, all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. The thought and the thought became flesh. The word, verse 14, and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Christmas, this day, is the spirit overshadowing Mary. And from her comes Emmanuel. God is one of us. I'll end here, though there's more to say. When I think of this moment, I'm cautious to consider family and friends because I know that that is good for me to do. I hope you read your bulletin today. I probably ought to read it to you, but I'll let you read it. Incidentally, who reads the bulletin? Okay, praise God. I guess I'll keep writing then. I'm cautious to remember friends and family, people that I love. It's a good time to be together with them. However, that's not the reason for Christmas. I I love to see the children get excited, you know, about the box that their present came in. I should have just bought my kids a bunch of boxes because that's really what they wanted to do. It's fun 
to kind of, you know, put your stopwatch on and see how long the present will last before it breaks. To forget the batteries, all the stuff. It's great. However, Christmas is really not about family and it's not about presents. It's not about Santa Claus. I don't mind him. I don't worship a Christmas tree. I, I like him. Just thought I'd throw that in for all of you. It's not about a gift card or a sale. Christmas is, those are wonderful things that we can enjoy. Christmas is that he knew you were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dying and going to hell and there is an eternity. Christmas is about God's thought before you ever got here. That he said, I'm going to come and I'm going to shed my blood, but I'm a spirit. I don't have any body. So when I get a body, a human body, I'm going to present that body on a cross like a lamb led before the shears. I'm not going to resist it. Christmas is about salvation. Christmas is about you being resurrection and the redemption of your soul. I'll tell you what Christmas is about. It's about red, but not a red garment. It's about red blood that flowed down from Calvary's cross. Oh, yes, it is. And the reason why Jesus will never lose his allure is because nobody is like Jesus. There was never anyone that died for you and died for the whole world and then rose again on the third day. That's Christmas. Having said that, I hope you get a bunch of presents and I hope you get everything you want and I hope all your dreams come true. I hope you sing all the wonderful songs. I, I hope that you get all the food that you ever wanted never gain one ounce of weight. I hope you can just eat very poorly and walk away with better cholesterol than you had before it started. I hope all that stuff is I hope you have happiness and joy and I hope you can memorize all the parts to your favorite songs and your movies and all the things that you like and it's a wonderful life and all that stuff. The Christmas story actually probably is not a good one. But that's not the reason for it. And even saying all this is almost an affront to a world who now tries to make Christ and Christmas just as a part of our cultural duties. Maybe a family thing. And I love the family. Get the family together if you can stand it. But there's something beyond that because the day will come and a day will go. But there's something that will endure. It's that Jesus saw you where you were. He knew you couldn't make it by yourself. He knew you were destined to a devil's hell. He knew you were lost and alone and you were blind and you were cast aside. And he said, while I can see you in the future, I'm going to make a plan right now. I'm going to come. spirit is going to wrap himself in a bodily form and that's why John looked at Jesus and said to Jesus oh Jesus show us the father and it will satisfy us we'll be appeased and Jesus looked at John and said Philip brother he looked at Philip and said Philip have I been so long time with you and yet you not know me he that's seen me has seen the father because Jesus is the express image of the father there's only one person with one blood and one cross and one throne and one name and God gave him a name which is above every name yes come help me now please stand if you will oh, I thank you Lord Jesus 
I wish you'd just spend a little time, all the real believers, adherent, followers of the King and the Conqueror. I wish you'd just close your eyes and just say it out of your mouth. Thank you, Lord. I'm a follower of you, Lord. I'm a follower of you. Thank you for the love that you spoke about and the love that we are pursuing. Thank you for the church, the body of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the good times and the bad times, Lord. I'm not going to lose my praise. Thank you for your word, the divinely inspired word of God. I embrace this scripture. It is my bread. Yes. I thank you for coming, Lord, for me. And we give you praise today. And all the saints lift their hand in praise. Come on, just praise and adoration with your hands lifted up. We give you praise and glory. We give you honor, power, majesty, might.